Okay, so let's get started. And we're in uh, the book of Acts, as you know. Um, so you might want to get your Bible out. Um, I've got mine ready. Um, chapter six, it is. So you can be looking for that. Now, um, if you've been following us over the last few weeks, um, you, we will, you will know that we've been looking at the very early church. So after Jesus ascended back to heaven, he said to them, wait and you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at how on Pentecost that fell on the disciples. And from that moment on, um, they were indeed not slaves to fear anymore because they were able to go out boldly and speak. Um, and no matter what people did, whether they were beaten or put in prison, we see that they continually and continually come back and just preach about this new life, this life with Jesus, life to the full. So this week uh, we're in chapter six and we've reached kind of we're dawning, I would say, in the book of Acts on a pivotal moment where God's about to do something completely different. Um, and we're today we're going to be looking at what happened as the church grew and it expanded and also be introduced to Stephen, who you may or may not be familiar with. OK, before we get into that, though, um, as we're looking at uh, the disciples this morning, there is a, a sort of a, a kind of leadership issue here. Now, I've been in leadership in our church for a number of years now, and um, I guess um I don't know about you, but if you lead something, perhaps uh, teamwork or you've led in the past, um, I found leadership both a joy and an, and also really hard at times. You've got those two flips, one of being able to envision what's happening, see the big picture, get excited about the future. But at the same time, it can be hard. You have to persevere, don't you? It's not something I think, particularly in church leadership, that's necessarily easy. There's a certain amount that's in you that needs to keep going and it can be tough at times. And we'll see that in today's passage that we're looking at. Um, I know uh, just thinking about this morning, I was thinking about you guys and you might be in some kind of church leadership or you might be in leadership in an office or um, you might be leading a, a team or you might be leading in a classroom setting, leading young people or you might be leading a group. You might feel like in a, a group of friends, maybe at school that you're sort of someone that people sort of follow and you maybe didn't intend it, but you are influencing them in some way. Um, and you might be struggling. You might be struggling with that. You might be struggling with a diverse team, maybe in the office where someone doesn't fit, or you might be struggling to delegate. Uh, you you kind of kind of want to have control everything. You might be in a situation where you're receiving a lot of criticism at the moment. Um, and that can be really hard as well. It can leave you uh, feeling very demotivated um, and we can get really defensive. Perhaps like our apostles today in the passage, you're feeling pressure from others to take on tasks that you just don't have time to do. Uh, they were never a part of your job, but they seem to be tumbling towards you. On the other hand, you might be in a team being led and you might be struggling with the leadership. Maybe they're not listening to you or you have a particularly insecure boss who the tiniest situation, tiniest little thing that you've mentioned, or oh, maybe we could do it a different way. They're incredibly defensive or they might be chucking loads of burdens on them. We all struggle with leadership, uh, but we've got the Bible to help us with that. We can look at Jesus' leadership and leadership, lots of examples 
But today we're going to be looking at our apostles in the early church. So let's dive into the passage and look at verse one. So verse one, you'll be reminded, it says, in those days when, a no when the number of disciples was increasing, and remember, um, there are thousands of them. Um, and uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, keeps telling us they were growing, they were growing, they were growing. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, if you can imagine an organisation that is growing at an insane rate, I mean, it's just multiplying faster than you can even begin. Cracks are going to appear. Remember, in the early church, they operated very much like a family. And we saw earlier that they, if someone was in need, they went and sold property, maybe, or they gave to the apostles and the apostles would distribute it. And here they kind of set up some kind of food bank for the widows. Um, and obviously, in that culture, widows were incredibly vulnerable. And we see this criticism coming. So what's going on here? There's a problem. Well, the Hellenistic Remember, to, to Hellenize, it comes from the Greek, to, to adopt Greek culture. And so we've got two different types of Jews here in Jerusalem. And this was probably because, remember, at Pentecost, people came from all over to celebrate the Passover. They've heard the word of God from Peter speaking, and now they're there in Jerusalem as part of this new church. And there are different types of Jews in this early uh, community. We've got the Hebraic Jews who speak Hebrew and the Hellenistic Jews who speak Greek. They're from other parts in the, the Roman Empire. Now, there was a bit of a tension between these two because the, uh, the Hebraic Jews who stayed in the land became very traditional, spoke, he spoke Aramaic, read the Bible in Hebrew, kind of looked down a little bit on those Hellenistic Jews who read the Bible in Greek for a start and were Greek speaking. They kind of thought, well, maybe they've just left a little bit. So we've got a tension here. And um, we see that those who are of the Hellenistic background, the Greek background, those weirdos are getting overlooked or neglected or disregarded. So what happens? Do they get defensive? No. Let's look at verse two. Uh, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group and we'll see who they chose in a minute. Firstly, they don't get defensive, but they do take rapid action. They don't issue a not my problem memo to the group. Um, they take responsibility as leaders. But it's really interesting that they don't jump in to solve the problem. They rather share it. They gather everyone and they say really clearly, we don't have time. And why don't they have time? Because it says very clearly they don't want to neglect the ministry of the word of God. Now, they neglect is a word that means to abandon or to leave behind. And we can see in this early church, as in lots of church and lots of uh, organizations, that there's a temptation when we have an issue to go to the top and expect whoever we deem as able to do something to step in and solve that. Now, the disciples, the apostles do step in, but they're very clear. We are not going to do it. That's not what we're called to do. Remember, in Acts chapter one, verse eight, 
the disciples are commissioned to be witnesses. In chapter five, verse 20, when they're released from jails, the angel is very clear. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. They um, totally knew where they were supposed to be, where they were supposed to be and what they were supposed to doing. And they weren't going to get dragged about into doing other things. And I don't know about you, but that happens to me. I get dragged about. They also are really clear that um, they are not the be all and end all. They recognize that Jesus has given the church gifts. It's him who appoints people to to roles. It's him who grows the church. It's him who's given everything they need. And they don't need to rush in and do anything. They just need to facilitate that happening. Now, this really reminds me of um, a guy I had once. He started um, a church on a Sunday night and they were working full time, but they started this church on a Sunday night. It was in a nightclub. It wasn't used that time. So they started and they had people coming to faith faster than they knew what to do with. And they literally could not disciple them all. So they would give them a Bible and a worship CD and say, go and read this and listen to this. Um, And it he said it was amazing how the church grew. And I think it's a really good example here of how um, there and here that they Jesus is the ultimate lead. Jesus is the ultimate disciple, the shepherd. He is the one that's growing the church. They don't feel so burdened. They have to rush in and be the answer. They know that it's Jesus church and he will grow it in the way he wants to. We can. uh we can find ourselves also in a situation where we're expecting to be led by others. We think that they're just not leading me properly. Well, I think at that point we need to remember our dependence needs to rest not on man, but ultimately on Jesus. He is our true leader, as um, I think Alice mentioned earlier. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church who was struggling about who they were going to follow. And remember, he said, oh, one person says, I follow Paul. Another person says, oh, I follow Apollos. But then he said, you know, they're nobody. They're just human beings. They're only servants of the Lord. You know, he says, you know, one watered or one planted, one watered. But it is God who makes things grow. And as a church and as believers, our ultimate lead is always Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And those that lead must follow his lead. When they say to the to the community to go and appoint people, they set some parameters on what those people should be like. Remember, it says in verse three, they are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Now, remember, this whole church, our church, is built on the power of the Holy Spirit. Without that, we can be organizers. We can be persuaders. We can we can do many things. But without the spirit, that is what makes the church the church. That is what gives the church power, power to change, power to transform, power to do things that are impossible. And they set these parameters. These people who you choose, they need to be wise. Yeah, they need to be thoughtful. They need to be intelligent. They need to be full of the spirit of God. 
And in all this, we see how the leaders are really good at doing something I called staying in your lane. And it's something someone said to me a number of years ago, and it really resonated. Stay in your lane. And it means stick true to what God's called you to do. And I'm the type of person that gets excited about lots of different things. I want to be there and there and there. And I, I see things and I think, oh, you could do that. or You could do that. Or you could do that. Or, oh, could I just nip over there? Could I just change lanes for a minute? And this is really good at saying, stay in your lane, just like Jesus. You know, Jesus, when he walked the earth, there were many people who wanted him to change lanes. Many people that said, come be our king now. And he just walked away. And we as believers need to be to be thinking, I'm going to stay in my lane. I don't need to control. I don't need to build over there. I don't need to rescue that person. I don't need to rush in. I don't need to have my finger in every pie because I need to stay in my line. What has Jesus called me to do? He is my leader. And what is he asking of me? Stay in your lane. Yeah, stay in your lane. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, these disciples the apostles, they've been beaten to stop speaking about Jesus. But now we're throwing a bit of church politics and see if that will stop them talking about Jesus. No, they're staying in their lane. The next thing I want to say is that they say, what did they say? They say, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, we've already heard that the ministry of the word is what they've been called to. But I want us to just look at where it says, give our attention to prayer. It comes first. And why does it come first? Because they need God. He is their leader. He is the one that they receive the Holy Spirit from. We need to be walking in prayer and put in, what does it say? First in our ministry, whatever we're doing, whatever we're leading, prayer first. Prayer first, prayer first, all the way. As a church, one of our core values is dependence upon God in prayer. And it's a constant challenge for us because everything comes to say, oh, just have a few minutes more in bed. It's okay." Or, oh, just make sure that everything else is done first before you pray. And that's a temptation all the time, isn't it? We want to just say, oh, if I could just be in a calm spot. I know this is for me. If I could just, I'm just going to tidy the kitchen first, because if I tidy that, I'll feel at peace and then I can pray. We just need to be so careful that we are following the lead, following our lead. So seven are chosen and we could skip over their names because often we can't pronounce them very well. But I just want to notice that they're a, they're Greek-speaking Jews. This is the first time the church is beginning to expand. Remember, Jesus said, go from here to here to the whole world. And here, leadership's gone from Hebraic Jews to Hellenistic Jews. And look at the last person, Nicholas of Antioch, a convert to Judaism. He is of Gentile blood. 
and he's now a leader in the church. And this is just a tinkly, uh, uh, just an inkling of what is coming in the church when the Gentiles begin to flood into the church very soon in the next few chapters of the Acts. We're seeing that happening. And finally, it says, so the word of God spread because they stayed in the line, because they continued to pray, because they continued to allow God to build his church, because they continued to allow people who were gifted to do what they were gifted to do. The word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. That means um, the rapidly it, it's like. Um, it's like an explosion. It's like a throng almost <laughs> rapidly and a large number, a throng of priests who obviously start coming to know Jesus as well. And we see that repeated and repeated that people are coming to know Jesus. And all of this, of course, is the build up towards the introduction of Stephen that we'll hear more about next week. We hear that Stephen in the next bit, uh, chapter, verse eight, was a man full of God's grace and power. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. So we see that he's full of power because he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's a man dependent upon prayer and he's a man that's not afraid. He has the power and the boldness of the Holy Spirit through him. And we will definitely hear more about him next week. But note the final words of this section, verse 17, when um, Stephen is is before the Sanhedrin because it isn't very long before he starts speaking the word boldly and going to Greek synagogues. And it says, uh, verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like that of the face of an angel. The man is on fire with the Holy Spirit. His face is glowing. We're supposed to be thinking back to Moses, who had, whose face glowed when he'd been in the presence of God. And this is what we, we know now of Stephen. He's been appointed as a leader. He's literally glowing with the Holy Spirit because he spends time in the presence of Jesus. And that's where we need to be. So how about you today? If you're a leader right now in the office or in a club or you lead kids, you hang out with or you're the leader in the church, how are you leading? Are you following the true lead? Are you making sure you've got that balance of prayer and what you do, the prayer coming first, humble leadership, the leadership that makes sure that you're listening to the true lead first and then stepping out humbly Um and releasing others in leadership. If you're being uh, if you're being led and you believe it's not great right now, are you following the true lead? Are you expecting someone else to come in and change things for you or make things happen? Or are you following the true lead and going to him? Are you good at staying in your lane? What are you like at that? This season is perfect for sorting out what lane you should be in. We've had loads of time stuck at home. We can't do the normal things as we come out of lockdown. What is your lane? And you might be thinking, well, I'm not really sure. Maybe you didn't have a blinding flash of light on the road to Aramaeus. Or maybe no one prophesied over you. Be this. You know, you are called where you are. If you're a parent, you're called to lead those children. If you're in the office and you have responsibility, you're called to lead and spread the word of God, to be a light, that you're full of the spirit, you're empowered, you're fearless 
because you're full of the word of God and you're full of the spirit of God. Wherever you find yourself, are you staying in your lane? And are you prioritizing prayer, asking daily for an infilling of the spirit? Or are you busy tidying or making lunches or doing this or doing that? How are your mornings? Do you start by asking for the spirit of God? Or do you start, as I know I do often, by picking up your phone? It's simple, isn't it? We know this stuff. But Jesus just wants to empower us, to lead us, to guide us, to fill us. He has so much for us. But it's two way. We have to say, yes, Lord, I want that. I want to see you work. I want to see you stretching out your hand to my community. I want to see you stretching out your hands to my workplace. I want to see you stretching out your hands to my family because I'm dependent on the true lead. So let's pray together. Jesus, you are the true leader. And we need you so much. Father, forgive us for the times when we rush ahead. We do everything there is. We think we're the leader. We think someone else is the leader and we forget to go to the true lead. Jesus, for us as a community, be our lead. For us as individuals, wherever we find ourselves, where you have put us, may we lead as we follow you. Please forgive us for the times when we rush about get dragged into different things. Help us stay true to what you're calling us to. In Jesus' precious name, amen.